responses to suffering are deeply personal and evoke strong emotions, but the Bible offers examples that reveal not only the mystery of human suffering, but God's perspective of the eons. Today, Dr. Bill Petrie will look at human suffering. To say that Paul's autobiographical reflection in 2 Corinthians is impressive may be a little paradoxical, because Paul's obsession in this letter is with how unimpressive he is, or at least with the fact that the only impressive thing about him is his weakness. In this rambling apologetic for his life and work as an apostle, Paul's weakness is the recurring theme. In chapter 4, for example, Paul writes of the glory of God revealed in the gospel and of his own call to be a minister of that gospel when the glory of God in Christ shone in his heart, according to chapter 4 and verse 6. But the thought of the glory and the power of the gospel entrusted to him immediately, by contrast, suggests the thought of his own frailty. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, he writes in chapter 4, verse 7. The clay pot is both a very ordinary and a very fragile container for treasure. What makes this theme of the apostles' weakness so arresting and intriguing is that Paul is not in the least apologizing for it or mentioning it only for the sake of honesty. In chapters 11 and 12, with deliberate irony, of course, Paul boasts of it as precisely the qualification which validates his claim to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He catalogs his sufferings in chapter 11, verses 23 through 33. Not as heroic ordeals, but as evidence of how his ministry was marked by the physical and psychological frailty of an ordinary human being. Ending the catalog with a vid vivid memory of the ignominious occasion when he had to flee for his life from Damascus by being lowered in a basket from the city wall. Just see chapter 11, verses 32 through 33. This weakness of Paul was the occasion for the power of God to be active and evident in his ministry. He writes, we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the transcendent power belongs to God and not us, he states in chapter 4, verse 7. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me, he writes in chapter 12, verse 9. The power of God, evident in Paul's ministry, not least in the transforming effect of the gospel he preached, 
could be seen to be no merely human achievement of Paul's, but divine power, which found its opportunity in Paul's weakness. In his weakness, Paul was obliged to trust in God and his converts to recognize God. Some modern readers might begin to feel uneasy about this Pauline motif of the apostle's weakness and God's power. Someone may recall Diedrich Bonhoeffer's famous passage about the religion which exploits human weakness. I quote Diedrich Bonhoeffer from his letters and papers from prison, the enlarged edition from pages 281 and 282. He writes, Religious people speak of God when human knowledge has come to an end, or when human resources fail. In fact, it is always the Dies Ex Machina that they bring onto the scene, either for the apparent solution of insoluble problems, or as strength in human failure, always exploiting human weakness or human boundaries. I should like to speak of God, not on the boundaries, but at the center, not in weakness, but in strength, end of quote. That might, at first glance, seem like a direct rejection of Paul's idea. Is Paul's God to be found only at the end of human resources, when human strength runs out? Or it might be thought that Paul falls victim to Doritha Soleil's incisive critique of Christian masochism, as she calls it, that attitude which calls for willingness to suffer because suffering demonstrates human impotence by contrast with God's endless power. She states in her book titled Suffering on page 19, Suffering is there to break our pride, demonstrate our powerlessness, exploit our dependency. Affliction has the intention of bringing us back to God, who only becomes great when he makes us small. End of quote. Is Paul's God the God who can only be exalted at man's expense? Such questions should be borne in mind and may help us to avoid misunderstanding Paul. But as criticisms of Paul, they would miss his point. In the first place, when Paul reflects on his weakness, he is being soberly realistic. In his dedication to his missionary task, Paul constantly drove himself to the limits of his physical and psychological endurance. As he put it in chapter 5 and verse 14, for the love of Christ is constraining us. His missionary labors were quite literally killing him. He states in chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, always carrying about in the body the deadening of Jesus, 
that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who are living are ever being given up to death because of Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Human resources do have their limits, and Paul discovered them. Not because he sought God only there, or because he embraced suffering masochistically to demonstrate his powerlessness, but simply because the demands of his apostolic mission took him to those very limits. From the hazards of ancient travel, the perils of persecution, the anxiety and depression incurred by his pastoral responsibilities, Paul learned that when God equipped him for his apostolic ministry, he did not turn him into Superman or an angel, immune from danger, untouched by weariness or stress. On the contrary, precisely his apostolic ministry made his ordinary, limited human capacities plain for all to see. Yet, Paul found that such weakness was not, after all, an impediment to his ministry. Somehow, and it may well have seemed strange to him at first, the power of the gospel became more apparent and effective. There is nothing groveling about Paul's recognition of this. He does not have to pretend to be a miserable worm in order to let God be God. He simply sees that he is human, not superhuman, and need not step outside his human weakness in order to be an apostle of Christ. Paul's theological breakthrough in 2 Corinthians was to understand this weakness of the bearer of the gospel in relation to the content of the gospel. If God's definitive salvific act occurred through the weakness of the crucified Jesus, then it should be no surprise that the saving gospel of the crucified Jesus should reach the Gentiles through the weakness of his apostle sent to the Gentiles. And just as the crucified Jesus proved through his resurrection to be the power of God for salvation, so the weakness of the grace apostle had as its reverse side, the power of God effective for salvation through his ministry. Paul found the pattern of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, death and life, weakness and power, 
reflected in his own ministry and used it as the key to his own experience. If he experienced the dying of Jesus in his frailty and sufferings, as he states in chapter 1, verse 5, and chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, he also found in every escape from death, every encouragement after anxiety and depression, every convert made amid persecution, a participation in the resurrection of Christ. God's ability to bring life out of death. Just see chapter 1 and verse 5 in verses 9 through 10 and chapter 4 verses 10 through 12. Such experiences were not necessarily dramatic or miraculous deliverances like the escape from death to which chapter 1 verses 9 through 10 refers, but were often relatively ordinary events. One example Paul gives is the arrival of Titus after a worrying delay with unexpectedly good news about affairs in the church at Corinth. You can read this in chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. And I want you, as you read that, to note the echoes of the language from chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. In chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Paul gives a rhetorical list of cross and resurrection aspects of his experience. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. The second member of each pair here seems strikingly understated. Just a negative point that Paul's weakness had not yet put an end to his ministry. The demands of his ministry had almost proved too much for him, but by God's grace, not quite. Thus, Paul's experience might often seem outwardly unremarkable. But because he sees the death and resurrection of Jesus as the key to his life, as to everything else, he can find there a pattern which makes Christian sense of his experience. The shape which everyone needs to give to his experience in order to understand it, Paul found in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This pattern, however, was more than an interpretation of the experience. It also made the experience what it was for the Apostle Paul. All the ups and downs of his ministry were for Paul experiences of God, events in which he experienced an identification with Jesus in his dying 
and rising, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies, chapter 4, verse 10 states. To identify with Paul's experience, we do not need to be shipwrecked or imprisoned or lowered in a basket from a city wall. Even without the physical dangers of Paul's career, anyone who throws himself or herself into the work of Christian ministry of any kind with half the dedication of Paul will experience the weakness of which Paul speaks. The times when problems seem insoluble, the times of weariness from sheer overwork, the times of depression when there seem to be no results, the emotional exhaustion which pastoral concern can bring on. In short, all the times when the Christian minister or worker knows that they have stretched themselves to the limits of their cap capacities for a task, which is very nearly, but by God's grace, not quite too much for him or her. Anyone who knows only his or her own strength and not his or her own weaknesses has never given themselves to a task which demands all that they can give. There is no avoiding this weakness. And we should learn to suspect those models of human life which do try to avoid it. We should not be taken in by the ideal of the charismatic Superman for whom the Holy Spirit is a constant source of superhuman strength. Nor should we fall for the ideal of the modern secular Superman, the man who organizes his whole life with the object of maintaining his or her own physical and mental well-being, who keeps up the impression of strength because his or her life keeps well within the limits of what they can easily cope with. Such a person is never weak because they are never affected, concerned, involved, or committed beyond a cautiously safe limit. That was not Jesus's ideal of life, nor is it our grace apostle Paul's. Paul says to be imitators of him. Some translations will render that, be followers of me. We are to imitate him. We are to give of ourselves so much that we have nothing left to give, that we are on the brink of sheer exhaustion, of total, absolute weakness. That 
is the pattern that he set for us. To be controlled by the love of Christ means inevitably to reach the limits of one's abilities and experience weakness. Of course, I am not suggesting that the Christian laborer should not take sensible precautions against overwork or reasonable steps to maintain their physical and mental health. Nor am I suggesting that they should not do their best to be efficient in their work. They owe it to themselves and to their Lord to do so. But a Pauline perspective on Christian service takes us further than that. The Christian minister should be sensible, but above all, they must be wholehearted. They should try to be efficient, but even when their efficiency runs out, the effectiveness of their ministry need not do so. Their efficacy may need sometimes to run out by necessity, not neglect, if the power of Christ is to prove effective in their ministry. That the Christian minister's life should match their message is a common enough thought. But the content which Paul gives to it is not so commonplace. For Paul, the Christian minister's weakness is not the point where he is failing, but the point where the deepest integration of his life and his message is possible. If the Christian minister can respond to God at that point in their experience, as Paul did, then it will be for them an experience of Jesus Christ and for their ministry an occasion for God's power to be most evidently and characteristically at work. The impressiveness of their ministry will not be their own impressiveness but that of their message, which matches up to the experience of human weakness and makes it the vehicle of God's power. Good day and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast.